Hi there, I'm Randy Heckman. Welcome to the Grand Awakening Podcast. Folks, our desire is that we can incline the heart of our Sovereign Lord to pour out His Spirit in power, reviving His Church here in West Michigan, but also in our state and our nation, and then leading to a great spiritual awakening all for His glory. But for that to happen, it's just critical that first we listen to what God is saying to us and that we quickly and cheerfully respond to his instructions in humble obedience. Well, it is my privilege and pleasure to introduce a friend, someone I've known for a number of years, somebody who has impacted uh, tens of thousands, if not many, many more lives uh, around the world, Dr. Erwin Lutzer. Welcome to uh, to our podcast. So glad to be with you today, Randy, and thank you for your emphasis on the need of the church to be the church Amen. in all of its implications. Thank you. Let me tell you a little bit more. Again, many of you know his background, but he is the pastor emeritus of the Moody Church in Chicago. He served as senior pastor there for 36 years. Uh, Education-wise, undergraduate degree in theology from Winnipeg Bible College, master's in theology from Dallas Theological Seminary, master's in philosophy from Loyola University, and this this gets me as a former lawyer, judge, and so on. He has an honorary law degree from the Simon Greenleaf School of Law. Um, He is an expositor of the Bible. He's been a featured speaker. He's been on radio programs that he's had, Running to Win, Moody Church Hour, Songs in the Night. Um, He's authored many books. I'll just mention some of those. We Will Not Be Silenced, Pandemics, Plagues, and Natural Disasters, The Church in Babylon, One Minute After You Die, When a Nation Forgets God, which is about Nazi Germany and a Christian bookseller's gold medallion award winner, Hitler's Cross. He and his wife, Rebecca, have also co-written some books. He has spoken around the world, takes tours to Israel and cities of the Protestant Reformation in Europe. That would be fun to do. And you and your wife, Rebecca, live in Chicago. You have three grown children and eight grandchildren. Again, welcome, Dr. Lutzer. Thanks Thank for being you, here. Randy. Thank you. And, uh, after that impressive introduction, I can scarcely wait to hear what I'm going to say. <laughs> and I will say that he's got a, a great sense of humor as well. I've seen him speak a f- number of times, and we we don't have time to have him do that today. But uh, he he actually it can sound more like Billy Graham than Billy Graham does. And it, it's just really funny. And you weren't even born in this country. You're born in, aren't you from Canada originally? Yeah, I was born on a farm. In Saskatchewan, Canada, the last of five children. Wow. And when I was about 10 or 11, my siblings took me to a Billy Graham film entitled Mr. Texas. It was Billy's first film (laughs) in black and white. And I came back hooked on Billy. Uh, My generation of teenagers was into Elvis, but I was into Billy. And I always say, I think I made the better choice. <laughs> Quite clear. But uh, you do a very good impersonation of, of said Billy Graham. And we miss him. What a great guy. I mean, when so many leaders, too many, uh, you know, flake out toward the end of their, their career, he just finished strong. And 
I just love how on, on numbers of walls in his in his home, apparently, he had that scripture from Galatians 6, may I never boast, save in the cross of Christ Jesus, my Lord, by which I am crucified to the world, the world to me. He stayed humble, even though he, again, he talked to presidents and spoke to millions of people. What a, what a great example for all of us to follow. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we want to talk about our country. Um, it's amazing to me. Again, we're in the revival, spiritual awakening, not business, but that's our heart. We so desperately need that. Our nation, and we don't need to spend a lot of time talking about the mess that we are in, just the divisiveness and so on. But what we need is, is uh, what has happened like in the history of America and the Western world and really the whole world, but I'm looking particularly at our nation, where we've had a number of times of, of significant recalibration through revivals and spiritual awakenings in our history. And I don't see a, a plan B uh, for making that happen. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if, if you do, if you got another suggestion on how we can bring healing to our country. Well, you know, I wrote a book that you referenced earlier entitled, We Will Not Be Silenced. Mm -hmm. And one of the statements I made in that book is, I didn't write that book to reclaim the culture. I wrote it to reclaim the church. Amen. Because it's the responsibility of the church to live in this culture, even if we can't change it. That's good. Now, you know, you have the whole thing about abortion. That, of course, is in the news, and maybe that is going to be changed. But I don't foresee a day when we can roll back issues such as same-sex marriage and a host of other things. We're in the midst of a transgender tsunami, which we can talk about the implications for parents and so forth. And maybe we can't roll this back, but what we can do is be the church draw a line in the sand, stand against the culture, and take the consequences, whatever those consequences might be. Yeah. And we in America have to rethink our view of suffering for Christ. Mm. The average American thinks this. If the church were really what it should be, we'd always have our freedoms. We'd always be able to live in the mushy middle without declaring ourselves and so forth. Well, those days are over. And by the way, historically, the church has almost never had freedom. If you look at the history of Europe, so the whole idea of the freedom that we have in America for 240 years or whatever is really an anomaly. Yes, it is. So we have to get used to suffering for truth hmm. and considering it to be a badge of honor. Yeah, that's so good. Yes. Um, you know, at, I, I heard the other day that the five nations in the world where the church is under direct persecution, the church is there like China and Iran and so on. The churches are growing in those nations, whereas in America and other countries where the church has relative sense of, of freedom, it's in decline. Well, and, you know, uh, some, yeah. you know something very interesting, Randy, is that um, Five or six years ago, I was in the Czech Republic, as you know, a very communist country at yes. one time. Yes. And it experienced its freedom under the Velvet Revolution. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that the Christians said to us is fascinating. They said that the church was able to survive communism because the church banded together. They mm -hmm. prayed for each other. They hung in there together together. 
took a stand, mm. but they said, we've not been able to survive materialism. Wow. Now that, um, you know, we have freedom and there's money and there's cell phones and there's this and that, the young people are going an entirely different direction than their parents, even though mm. under communism, they knew what they were up against now in the midst of prosperity, they were uh, dissipating all of their impact. Wow. And so the question is, and I don't glorify persecution a bit. In fact, persecution sometimes has wiped out the church. Mm -hmm. But it is really true that the church is going to have to learn to suffer. We're living at a time when many people, many Christians think, it is unthinkable hmm. to actually suffer for truth. Yeah. And so what they want to do is to go along with the culture rather than stand against it. Yes, yes. And Jesus said, if they persecuted me, guess what? It's going to happen to you. This is not heaven. And, uh, and that's why I think when, it's so, when, when the persecution is obvious, we have to make it. It's like a fork in the road, isn't it? I mean, we're going to decide, am I just going to cave? and live for me, or am I going to follow Jesus' example, who left the glories of heaven to come down for the likes of us, and say, Lord, if if I die, I die, but I'm going to die falling forward for you, and, and that's what we see happening. In fact, I got a friend who's from this area that's taken over 140 trips over the last 20 years to the Ukraine, and he has helped to evangelize and disciple people there. He, he just returned from another trip to Ukraine, despite the, the war going on. And he said, he used the word revival is going on in Ukraine now, because that's what's happening. Again, would we choose that kind of, of punishment, of pain, persecution, war? Of course not. Mm -hmm. But if it comes, then we choose to say, Lord, I'm, I'm with you. I'm all in. So what's it going to take to get American Christians? Is it going to take persecution to get us there? What do you think? Yes, I think so. As I mentioned, it used to be in American history when Christians could live in the mushy middle. Yeah. But they can't anymore. They have to declare themselves. Mm. And the reason for that is, wow, we could get into this at length, but it used to be that if you were good at chemistry, for example, and got a PhD in chemistry and were a good professor, mm -hmm. you could get a job at a secular university because they hired you for your ability to be a chemistry teacher. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, you can't apply for that job unless you are asked whether or not you're comfortable with multiple pronouns whether or not you're supporting the sexual revolution, mm. the trans community. And so now mm -hmm. even getting a job means that you can no longer be on the fence about these issues. It's either going to be yes or no. Yeah. Yeah. It's either going to be you get the job or you don't. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the characteristics of communism is you are not necessarily promoted if you have competency, you're promoted if you have loud enthusiasm for the cultural agenda. And so Christians are being asked today, do you submit and agree with the cultural agenda hmm. way out here? So it's no longer you're a good professor in math or 
physics or chemistry. Right. Now it is, do you buy the whole cultural tsunami? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's becoming increasingly true. And it would seem that some churches, I'll put it in quotes, have selected and elected to just go along with culture and uh, same-sex marriage and uh, just be nice. Isn't that what it means to be a Christian? Just be nice and go along with what the culture says? How do you, know, you respond my, to those folks? In my book, again, that you referenced, We Will Not Be Silenced, the last chapter is on, uh, you know, the words of Jesus to the church at Sardis, strengthen what remains. Mm. Now, Randy, I've been to Sardis about 10 or 12 years ago. We took a tour there, seven churches of Revelation. There are no churches. Right. There are only mosques. Yep. And that, by the way, is why I wrote a book entitled The Cross in the Shadow of the Crescent, mm. lessons that these non-existent churches have to say to the American church. But that's not our topic today. The topic has to do with the church at Sardis. Now, at Sardis, when you're there, you discover something very interesting. Hmm. Here is a pagan temple. Mm-hmm. Right next to it, basically up against it, is a Christian church. Now, this is a fourth century church, so it's not the one to whom Jesus dictated a letter. Right. But isn't that an interesting phenomenon? Now, there are two ways you can interpret that. One way is to say the church wanted to be there because it wanted to be where culture was the darkest. They sure, wanted to witness sure. to those who are mm-hmm. far away and are falling right. into all kinds of aberrant sexual experiences. Mm-hmm. The other way to interpret it, which is probably true, is that the church felt comfortable next to the pagan temple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You could worship in church and then you could step out the door take a couple of steps and you're in the pagan temple. Right. So the question is, Jesus, when he wrote that letter to the church at Sardis, he does not specify all the ills of Sardis. He says, of course, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Mm-hmm. But we do know this. The church no longer saw the world as an enemy. The church had imbibed the culture. It had included the cultural emphases. And so it diluted its message. So Jesus says to them, you have to repent because after all, and he says, strengthen what remains. There was still something in that church that could be strengthened. Mm-hmm. And that's true of all evangelical churches. Right. Even right. Those yeah, sure. Grow. Yep. And there's something else that is true. Later on in the letter, he says, but there's still some of you in Sardis who have not spoiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. That's good. So I want to speak directly to all those who are listening to us today. And that is this. You may be in a church that you feel is dead. But that doesn't mean that you have to be dead. You can be alive. You can still walk with God in light, for they are worthy, God says. And that's the challenge. All over the country, I find people saying to me, you know, I attend this church. 
It's basically lost the gospel. Mm. It has substituted the social justice gospel for the gospel. We are no longer gospel-driven. We are culturally driven, so right. to speak. Right. Well, of course, you may want to find a different church and all that. We can't have that discussion. But Jesus within a church that had lost its witness, it had a reputation of being alive, but Jesus put the, puts the stethoscope to the body and says, mm -hmm. I can't find a heartbeat. Yeah. So Jesus says, but there are still some of you in Sardis who have not spoiled their garments. Hmm. So what Jesus is saying is, be holy wherever God has planted you, draw a line in the sand, even if you're in a church that won't support you because it wants to back away from mm -hmm. some of the hard truths of scripture and be faithful because my eye is upon you. That's good. That's good. I, I When I look at Revelation 2 and 3, the one that kind of I focus on compared that much to America today is Laodicea. They, they say they feel they're rich in need of nothing, and Jesus shakes his head, so you're, you're lukewarm, spit you out of my mouth. You're poor, pitiable, wretched, naked, and blind. But then he goes on to say, this is our Lord. I just love our Lord. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And he said, I'm knocking at the door. I want to come in, not to yell at you, but I want to have fellowship with you. Our Lord is so gracious to, to want that fellowship with us. So if you could speak to the American church today, I mean, would you use one of those seven? I mean, you talked about Sardis, um, or would you, well, you know, let what, me, what would you say? What would you want to say to the, the basically the American church to, to get our act together, Dr. Lutzer? I would say this, and I'm going to pick up on the Church of Laodicea since you referenced it. Yeah. The biggest problem of Laodicea is not that they were poor, wretched, blind, and naked. There's a good cure for that. It's mm -hmm. called repentance. Yes. The biggest problem with Laodicea is they were poor, you know, wretched, and blind. But they thought they thought they were hot. Yes. They thought we have need of nothing. And the greatest need of the church today is not all of its sins, per mm -hmm. se, even mm -hmm. though obviously sin is serious and mm -hmm. that's the issue. But mm -hmm. the greatest need is for this church to be able to see its sins. Mm. Because as long as the church doesn't see its sins, it will not be brought to repentance. It will not be brought to restoration and spiritual health. Yeah. And in the midst of this, Randy, as you well know, the big problem is divisions. I had breakfast this morning with a man, and we we're talking about COVID, which mm -hmm. is a subject that comes up often. Sure. And uh, we we're talking about how the business of the masks not only is splitting families, or has in the past at least, but also split churches. There are yeah. people who've stopped going to church because I was in one church. He said, some people stopped because we insisted on masks. They interpreted it as sure. a concession to the culture. Sure. Another group stopped 
when we weren't wearing masks because we weren't being careful. Sure. Well, my view, of course, is that I respect those who are vaccinated, those who wear masks, those who don't wear masks. We have to allow for individual freedom. Sure. Sure. But if we're going to be split over all these issues. Yeah. And if because we live at a time of anger mm-hmm. and everybody's mad at something and thinking the worst of everybody else, mm-hmm. if we're going to live at a time like that, we're going to be in huge trouble because you remember it says in the book of Galatians, you know, you eat and devour one another. Right, right. So we have to cut people slack. One of the things I've noticed, Randy which has been quite a shock, is that God often blesses people who disagree with me. (laughs) And um, even though I think that I have something to say and I see some serious issues within a church, but we have to speak kindly and humbly and relationally, trying to understand, trying to gain some common ground. Yes, yes. So that we aren't just in a food fight mm. in a cafeteria. Yeah. And I think to the world, yeah. given our political divisions, wow, let's not even go there. The political divisions, mm. the divisions regarding um, COVID, right. and throw in a number of other issues mm-hmm. like social justice and CRT. Yep. And you have churches just being torn apart. Yes. And um, yeah, and all the, all of these issues are important. I'm not saying let's not deal with these issues. Yeah. We have to deal in such a way mm-hmm. that there is a sense of mutual understanding and fairness. Yeah, and people don't like to be fair because they like to hmm. put their heels down and say I'm right and everybody else is wrong. Yeah, but we have to be fair. Maybe the person that you oppose actually might have something to teach you of all things totally true and and uh and as we you said before that when church is being persecuted by the greater culture you don't really care about some of these more minute details okay you baptize babies we don't baptize babies you know you you believe in you know some of the spiritual giftings you know the pentecostal movement and so on. But when we're being pushed by our culture, we pray together and we support each other. And, uh, and that's what I think the Lord's looking for. And that's what we need. That's one of the critical parts we need. If we're going to really see God move, our love for each other is going to communicate to the culture that cannot produce that kind of love between people of different races and so on and so on. As long, again, as we are are truthful on our, on our core things, that our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Okay, if we agree on that one, then we can have a lot of disagreement on some of those details, but we need to work together. By the way, yeah. you, you, were in, in, you came from Canada. There was a revival in the early 1970s in Canada. Are you familiar with that at all that started in Saskatchewan, where you came from? Randy, am I familiar about it? I wrote a book about it. Oh, which book? What was it? Sorry. It was entitled Flames of Freedom. But I ask your people who are listening, 
don't try to find it because it has been out of, it's been um, mm. it's gone out of print okay. years ago okay but if i had more time i would rewrite it and update it some because obviously it's very dated this yeah. was the 1970s right and there are some situations there that have changed even i mentioned names and so forth sure. and many of these have gone to heaven so yes i'm very familiar with it and there was a time when I actually gave a lecture on what constitutes revival. Mm. Now, the thing is that revival breaks down barriers. Mm -hmm. it, it makes us generous with our interpretation of other people because mm -hmm. we're looking for the best in them and not yes. the worst. Yes. And what, uh, what doesn't allow us to do that today, certainly didn't exist back then, mm. is social media. Mm. I don't go on Twitter. I know that my staff writes some of my Twitter things. It's primarily quotes from my books and so forth. But sure. I don't access Twitter. But somebody opened a, my, uh, a relative actually opened a Twitter file and was telling me how Christians are just devouring each other on mm. Twitter. So-and-so you know, said something like that. Yep. So it's interpreted in the worst possible way. Sure. Now you're saying this, and that gives fodder to somebody else over there. Yeah. Uh, we're chewing ourselves to bits. Mm. And... Mm. I realize that there are issues that are important. Nobody has ever accused me of being doctrinally soft. In fact, I'm quite doctrinally dogmatic. But there has to be a generous fairness. I love it. With those who disagree with us. That's so good. You know, you, you, uh, you'd speak. I've seen some of the other things that you do. And it makes me think of Jesus who came, as it says in the first part of the book of John, full of grace and truth. We need both of these, don't we? Not just truth, yeah. you know, where we beat people up, and not just grace, where, well, everything's fine, and but a good balance between the two. Speak to that, if you don't mind. Yeah, once again, in the book, uh, We'll Not Be Silenced, I discuss this, that um, Love is being misused today mm. by those who say, oh, we have to be loving. We have to allow same-sex attraction, uh, attracted people get married and the whole bit. I point out that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they didn't stop loving. They just started to love the wrong things, lovers mm. of pleasure, lovers of self, yeah. lovers of money. Sure. So love can be evil. But... What we must understand is that biblical love and truth are not enemies. Hmm. So on the one hand, you have those who say, in the interest of love, we have to reject truth. But of course, there are those who say, in the interest of truth, we cannot be loving. Hmm. And the balance is always very, very difficult. But it's a balance we must strive for, to know that... Jesus said, herein is love that you keep my commandments. So, excuse me, the balance is that we must be loving and truthful. 
and hold the truth in love. Yeah. To be able to cooperate with people and listen to them, even without our compromising our own convictions. That's so good. Oh, God help us to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you have hope that we're going to see a revival and awake spiritual awakening in America? Or are you pessimistic on that subject? Oh, Randy, maybe you have to ask somebody else that because you're probably looking for a very happy, optimistic. I, I'm looking for what you believe, sir. I personally don't see it. I know that there are pockets of revival God does in individual churches. I know that you used to be associated with uh, the ministry uh, the name of which just escapes me right now, but you and I talked about it. Um, Life Action. Yes. They have a wonderful ministry of revival mm -hmm. in churches <clears throat> throughout the country. But if you're talking about, you know, a national mm -hmm. revival. Yes. And that really I am. Yes. I, I don't think that we're ready for that because... Mm -hmm. We have too many factions, mm -hmm. too many agendas, yeah. too many people who are going to want to use it for their own purposes mm. in one way or another. Mm. And so I challenge people to be faithful wherever God has planted them. I love it. If you're in your home, if you're a student, mm. if you're a businessman, you have to be willing to stand for truth and take the consequences and be willing to lose your job mm -hmm. for the sake of truth and your conscience. Yes. That's actually where we have to do it. And mm -hmm. so <clears throat> let's remember, we don't need a national awakening for any one of us to be faithful with what God has given us, where he's planted us. And uh, so I encourage everyone who's listening, ask yourself the question, with God's help, what does faithfulness mean for mm -hmm. me? Because mm -hmm. every Christian is going to answer that question somewhat differently, yep. depending upon their context and responsibility. Well, I probably have a bit more optimism than you've expressed, although I, I very much appreciate the fact that it's more than just, yeah, we're going to keep praying till it happens. And there's a lot of people praying about the need for yes, revival yeah. and so on. And, and we all do. We need to be praying toward that end. But I really believe we need repentance. We need to, to be all in with Jesus, who was all in for us. And so that's really what our ministry is, is doing. It's calling people to pray, because without prayer, there, there never will be revival. God does respond to prayer. But part of that prayer needs to say, Lord, what is it in me that I'm holding back? What am I, what am I, is, is, is it that I, I want to have this freedom, this peace, this prosperity, you know, whatever, the American dream? Or am I willing to give that up and be willing to suffer and or die, if need be, um, for you, as you died for me and for, for saving me? And I think if we can call enough Christians in America to really be that way, um, we could we could see that revi revival that could of the church that then could lead to the spiritual awakening of our culture. That's our prayer, and I'm I'm believing that personally. Well, you know, absolutely, the foundation of it all is repentance. Yep. And you know, you're talking about 
even being willing to give up our jobs and all. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But there are many people who are listening to this who have to begin in a smaller sphere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Rebecca and I have been involved in trying to help a family mm-hmm. reconcile. You know, okay. the children have gone this way. This sure. set of children have gone this way. Yes. They aren't talking to each other. They aren't. And they're all Christians. And it seems that nobody is willing to give up the desire for justice, what is due them, for the sake of unity. I think the only thing that can happen there is a deep repentance. Yeah. And hopefully repentance on one part will generate repentance on the other. Because one of the things, Mm -hmm. you know, as I mentioned, I wrote a book about the Canadian revival. Yes. One of the most predominant things throughout all the churches is the reconciliation of families. Yes. Husbands and wives, kids and their parents. Yeah. There were meetings where in the middle of the service, kids would come down, walk down the aisle looking for their parents so that they could be reconciled. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And, and that's where it really begins. And the other thing is making things right. Yeah. You know, you have the fact that it appeared in the newspaper in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and there is a place that like that. Yeah. It appeared in the newspaper, the revival did, because of the number of letters to the federal government, to the IRS in Canada, it's called something different, but we right. call it the IRS right, here, right. Yeah. full of checks from people who cheated on their income tax. Oh, sure. Yeah. So suddenly, yep. you know, the authorities are saying, what in the world is happening oh, here? Yeah. Because we're getting all these letters. Stores. Wondering what in the world is happening because people are coming back to confess that they stole merchandise. Yeah. In, in fact, so, you, you know, you know the name Bill McLeod, of course, oh, yeah, pastor. Yeah. And I've I've heard him on tape. I've never met him. He's with the Lord now, of course. But he recounted that that uh, that in fact the the chief of police, who was not a Christian of of, of that town. Um, he said, you know, I, I know the difference between religion and revival, and this is revival. He said, for people are coming to us and confessing, yeah. you know, stealing stuff of all things. Kind of amazing. I love and, it. And uh, Bill McLeod, by the way, was a good friend of mine. We sometimes ministered uh, together. I think he was probably <clears throat> the most godly man I ever met. He read wow. 12 chapters of the Bible. He outlined 12 chapters of the Bible every day. Wow. And he always began every year with a new outline on these chapters. And so he memorized huge passages. Now, I did too when I was growing up, but I've forgotten a lot of them. I memorized the Gospel of John, Hebrews, and so forth. Wow. But um, he was able to quote the Old Testament. He was able to. So he of course, was mightily used. of Yes. And you know, the amazing thing is, and this is why we can't figure God out. Uh, If you ever noticed, uh, Randy, God is mysterious in his ways. Amen. Here's Bill, who basically has a very small ministry in terms of people. I mean, he's the pastor of a church in Saskatoon, maybe a couple of hundred. He preaches throughout the country. Yep to a couple of hundred here, a couple of hundred there. There are many pastors 
who have a much wider ministry, but they are not necessarily as godly as Bill was. Mm -hmm. And so there you have, I often thought, you know, Bill McLeod should be known throughout all of America and Canada. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yet it didn't happen. Yeah. But we yeah. have to be content with whatever God does with us and however he uses us. And well, so he really, thank you for your ministry. Appreciate yeah. it. Your desire to see revival and to call people to repentance. Yeah, that's good. And I totally agree that that disunity uh, is a problem. If we had time, we could talk about Connersville, Indiana where life action went many years ago and churches had split in that small town. Mm-hmm. And, and when they went and life action went there and they got them to go and confess to each other, revival hit. And uh, so yeah. there's many stories like that. So thank yeah. you for being with us. And uh, there's so much more we could talk about. I, I just love your heart, love your mind, but your passion for Jesus and for his kingdom and for truth and uh, we need to keep praying for God to, to move in power. So there's so many unsaved that need to come to faith, and they will come to faith through a revival, certainly. But as they see Christians coming together, that will be a, such a powerful message to, to the world that is so divided today. So thank you. Thank you so much, Randy. God bless you and keep doing what you're doing. Would you close us in prayer, please? Yeah. Father, uh, All that we can do is spread ourselves, our hearts, our minds before you and look to you for what we have nothing of. We can't create a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Mm. We can't change the church. We don't pretend we can. Mm. But we seek your face and ask that you might use the ministry of Randy and others, life action, all of us, yes, to help people to see that brokenness precedes revival, mm-hmm. humility, repentance. Mm-hmm. Help your people whom you love to see that. But Lord, we look to you to see that. Teach that in our own lives. And we pray that through the ministry of the Spirit, you might touch the lives of others when they really do see Christ. Yes. In whose name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you again. God richly bless you. Give you many more years of ministry. Thank you, Randy. God bless. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to grandawakening.org. That's grandawakening.org.